Well, um, I, have, I may ruin this morning because I had every intention of preaching from 1 John 2, 1 and 2 this morning. And even earlier this week, sent, sent a, couple, a song request to Weston based on the premise of 1 John 2, 1 and 2. And as I kept working through the sermon, I kept going back to 1 John 1, 9 and 10 to explain why verses 2, 1 through and 2 are so important. And I kept going back and I kept going back and I got up early this morning to finish it and I said, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to preach 1 John 1, 9 and 10 and verse 1 of chapter 2 so that what we talked about in verses 1 and 2 this morning will just explode your mind. So that's what, that's what we're going to do today. So turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 John uh, 1, verses 9 and 10 and we'll get into chapter 2 a little bit. And I may take first chapter two next week and do all of that but really really glad to do that today first john 1 9 is where we'll be when i was 15 years old i got my driver's license in the state of mississippi you got your full on no reservations or restrictions driver's license when you are a 15 year old let that settle in your heart for just a moment And um, when I turned 15, my dad uh, bought the family a third vehicle, and he bought a a truck. This was an 89 Ford Ranger, royal, uh, beautiful navy blue, extended cab, push-button four drive. It's not that I love that truck or anything. You know, I remember all these details. Um, And it was, you know, it was mine to use for certain things, and he would use it for certain things, and I would take his car. You know, know, just like a third vehicle. But when I got um, into college... Um, my, my, my grandmother helped and my dad helped and we, and we bought another car for me to take to college. I was going to college nine hours away. So I got a, a Honda Accord. And so for like two or three months there, I lived at home and we had four vehicles, my mom's and my dad's, this truck, which was now going to be my brother's eventually, which she would total, not that I remember that. But, um, but uh, and then this, this Honda Accord, two-door little Honda Accord. So in the summer, before I, I went off to college, I was, um, my car was in the left side of the carport. We didn't have a driveway with a closed door. It had a carport. So we, I was in the carport. And our driveway was long enough to where you could, like, double park. So there was my car and another car. And then you would be, like, four car lengths back. And then the truck was there behind my car, but four lengths back. So I didn't have to move the truck to back out my, my car and go somewhere. It would just stay there. So I remember going to play. T- oh, I'm gonna. I'm getting caught up in the hazard net. Um, I, I remember going to play tennis or something like that uh, because that was my my thing. And I got out of the, you know, went out the back door, and I'm going to my car, and I notice the truck is behind me. Um, I'm going to need to back out and do this number in order to not hit the truck. So I get into my car and I put my sunglasses on, you know, and I'm put my cassette in and I'm backing out. Real, like just slowly, like I just put it in reverse and back. I don't press the gas or anything, and I forget in my euphoria of summer bliss that there's a truck behind me, and I, boom, bump, bump the truck going two or three, four, five miles an hour in reverse. Like, what have I done? Only my dad is home in the house. What have I done? So I, you know, pull up a little bit, put it in park, and go back. And there's, praise the Lord, there's nothing wrong with the bumper of my car, my new car, and there's nothing wrong with the front bumper of the truck. I just didn't hit it hard enough. There was just enough flex in the steel, whatever. Like, it didn't, it didn't nothing happen. So I pull forward, I move out, and I drive off, and I go play tennis. And I come back to the house two hours later, 
And in the back of the truck had been a four-wheeler, an ATV. And when I had bumped the car, the four-wheeler in the ATV in the back of the truck lurched forward and blew out the glass of my, now my dad slash soon-to-be brother's truck. What would you do? I did not tell my dad what happened. I ran inside and said, Dad, what happened to the truck? And he says, what are you? I said, their glass is all blown out of the back. It's like when you stopped the truck it or whatever. Like I just, but I didn't own up and confess anything that I had done to cause this thing. And the reason I didn't do it is not only because I'm a selfish jerk um, and didn't want. It's because I believed something about my dad that wasn't true. I believed that he wouldn't forgive me for what I had done. But the reality was that because he's my dad and because he was a good dad, I had advanced forgiveness from him. The reality is there's nothing I could ever do that would make my dad love me any less. But in that moment, I believed that his fellowship with me was based on my performance with him. And I withheld bad performance so that I could hang on to that relationship. But in reality, hanging on, holding on to that bad performance and holding that from him actually led to worse of a relationship. So by virtue of who my dad was and because of his decision, the moment I was born to cancel any debt that ever existed between us. I had forgiveness. All I had to do, all I had to do was go in and experience it. But I didn't until later when I did. Much too late, but I did. So today, I want to affirm something that is absolutely critical for you and for me when it comes to God. Namely, that you have advanced forgiveness. I want to show you that in the text. I want to show you why it's so important and so beautiful to live like that's true. And I want to show you probably next Sunday how it's true. Okay, so let's stand together and read 1 John 1, 9. And then we'll go to chapter 2 as well. Short and beautiful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. So we're just going to take these verses, I'm going to break them down for you, follow the logic, follow, real slowly, real carefully, I'm going to illustrate it as we go, bear with me, verses 9 through 10, that's what we're going to do. The first thing I want you to see in verse 9, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, so you might be of the mindset that balks at the idea 
that you would need to confess sin at all. Which is to say, you may question the very premise that a human being falls short of some standard that he or she is supposed to live up to. You may just think, I'm a human being and that's all there is to it. So if that's your mindset, you are stumbling on a very important thing to understand about the Bible's view of the nature of man. And that is that we are jacked up. There's a theological term other than jacked up that is used to describe this term. And it was done by a church father named Augustine. His phrase for this was, Curvatus is Latin, a se, curvatus a se. Translated, it means curved in to ourselves. Here is a way of illustration. When I was in the elementary school, we had library time. And the, did anybody do that when they're in elementary school? Like you would transfer to the library for an hour. And Miss Pearson would read library books to us. And uh, because she was that elegant of a woman. And uh, she was so wonderful. She would read just like that. And, um, and then she would give us reading time. And one of the books I find myself going to over and over again was the Guinness Book of World Records, which before there was an internet, you had to go and publish a book and then distribute millions of them across the country. And I got to read this in the library. And I will never forget the picture of the person with the world's longest fingernails. Take a look at your, just go ahead and do it. Take a look. Don't bite them. This is a COVID era. Don't bite your fingernails. I know you're tempted because that's how I trim mine, but that's another story. Anyway, so look at them. Now, you, they're straight now, but if you let them grow, they don't stay straight for long. Do you know what they start doing? They curl. This dude's fingernail, I never forgot it. He looked like Freddy Krueger on steroids. Like his fingernails, all of them were curled again and again it looked like the eye of an oven, an old school burner oven. It was so, every fingernail, it was absolutely disgusting. And it rendered his hands inoperable. He couldn't do anything with them except take pictures for Guinness Book of World Records and have people work on them in the, you know, pedicure place, wherever you guys go and get your, your nails done. I don't do that because I just use my, well, never mind. So I'm not, that is an image of what, Augustine is trying to say about the human nature. It is curved in on itself so much so that it is absolutely obsessed with the self and cannot do anything to glorify God on its own. That is the nature of man. Super important. You don't sin and therefore are sinful. You are sinful, therefore you sin. And by nature, this is what all of us are. So there is sin to confess. There is sin that we do because sin is what we are. So there's always sin to confess, which is why John says, if we will confess our sins, it's just reality of our state and our nature. So you may be of the, of the mindset that confession of sin is just a one-time thing. But here John says, if we confess our sins, that's present, active, indicative, language nerds, it means it's something that we continually do. 
So not only is John explaining or expressing an understanding that the human nature is a sinful nature, but that there is, in the life of the Christian, this need to continue to confess our sin. So you may be in the mindset that it's just a one-time thing, like, I confess I'm a sinner, I've done terrible things, now, God, I seek your forgiveness for it once and for all, and I'm done. And there certainly is a first time that that happens, but that's not the only time that happens. John says, if we confess our sins ongoing way, what he's getting ready to describe for you and I is that authentic Christian living is an honest and ongoing acknowledgement of sin. It's going to write down if you're a note taker. Authentic Christian living is an honest and ongoing acknowledgement of your sin. To be a Christian is to grow in the awareness of the depth of our sin and grow in the awareness of the greatness of God's love and holiness and thereby grow in our understanding and gratitude for the cross of who Jesus is and what he has done in reconciling us to God. And by the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit, we'll strive to sin less and be more like the one who saved us. I'll come to that at the end. But the awareness of our sin problem only increases the longer we walk in this faith, which leads us to confess our sin and give thanks to Christ. So authentic Christian living is an honest and ongoing acknowledgement of our sin, which is why John says, if we will confess our sins. Which leads us to the next question that comes from the text. Why would we do this? Why, why would we confess our sins? Look at the rest of verse 9. He tells us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, I have outstanding news the point of confession is not to inform God of who you are or what you've done. The point of confession is to experience God for who He is and what He has done. The point of confession is not to tell God how terrible you are and all the terrible things that you've done. The point is to experience how wonderful it is and the wonderful thing He has done. This is what I meant earlier when I said you've got advanced forgiveness. The Bible tells us exactly what you will find and what you will experience if you practice a life of confession. So Holly and I are um, we're planning on going on vacation in a, in a couple of weeks for our anniversary. We tried twice, but because of COVID and hurricanes, it's never worked. We're going to try again in hurricane season. Hopefully it'll work. Um, and we're going somewhere that neither of us have ever been which is terrifying. So before I reserved anything, you better believe, because I'm a researcher, I spent hours, I'm embarrassed at the number of hours, that I spent on Facebook pages, YouTube videos, Google reviews, image searches, Instagram, or blah, 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 trying to verify what the experience will be like if I go there. I mean, right down to what it's like getting off the plane. 
right down there. And YouTube is full of videos of people who say, this is what it's like getting off a plane in this country, blah, 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 blah. It's bizarre, but it's there, and I love it, because I need, I want to know. And it would appear, based on most accounts, that it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I mean, AK-47 is notwithstanding. It's going to be great. That's not a joke. (laughs) So this is, in a way, what John is doing for us in this letter. He is promising us. He's promising us, based on God's word and based on his own experience as well, that to go to God in confession is to experience God, according to the verse, as faithful, as righteous, as forgiving, and as cleansing. That's a promise. So let's break all those things down just for a hot minute, right? So we'll start with what God does. He forgives and cleanses, and then I'll go back and look at faithful and just. So the point of confession is to experience what God does and who he is. What does God do? He forgives and he cleanses, right? See that there in verse 9. What do I mean by forgive? I mean God no longer holds our sin against us. He cancels the debt. Got a student loan debt? Canceled. How would that feel? Like somebody else paid it because that's not the way our economic system works. But it is the way of God's economy when it comes to our relationship with him. He just cancels the debt. He no longer holds it against us. And when he says God cleanses us from all unrighteousness, he means that God removes the filth which our sins have produced. So that's what you experience when you live a confessional life, that God cleanses you, that God forgives you, that he cancels the debt, and that he removes all of the filth. Super cool fact here, if you're into language nerd stuff like I am, those verbs in the verse, forgives and cleanses are written basically in in a past finalized kind of sense. And so what that means is, is that forgiveness and the cleansing are complete, one and done, complete, done, not ongoing like he's constantly having to fix you up and cancel your debt and cleanse you. No, it's done. So here's here's the really fascinating dynamic of the Christian life. Authentic Christian living is an ongoing acknowledgement of our sin coupled with the permanent, complete, once and for all forgiveness and cleansing in Christ. Those two things are together. So we're not going, this is so important, we're not going into confession in order to get what we do not already have. We go into confession to experience what we already possess. We don't go into confession to get what we don't already have. We go to experience what we already possess. That's what I mean by advanced forgiveness. There is zero chance that if you go into confession that you're going to come out owing a debt or come out dirty. Zero chance. You go in, debt canceled, cleansed every time. He forgives and he cleanses. The debt is paid. The filth is removed. One of the things that's super important to me when we buy a house is water pressure. Water pressure. Super important thing. It's annoying. We, I, we bought like eight houses in our life, which is terrifying to even think about. But it's worked out most of the time. And so we've, as we moved, I would walk in and I, the first thing I do is like turn on the shower. 
and check out the water pressure. And my wife's like, what are you doing? And the realtor agent's like, would you please stop doing that? I don't think you're supposed to do that. I'm like, I'm doing that because <laughs> water pressure is super, super important to me. I understand why plumbers and the government want to put a pressure valve on my house, but I really just don't care what you think. Um, I want water coming out of my shower head so hard that I have to lean in to the shower. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Like a, so like, because I'm the kind of father who, when my children were very little, when I had to get involved with, with washing their hair and whatnot in the bath, I was the father who would just pour mounds of shampoo and body wash on them just to make sure, like, that's going to make it better, right? Just, just to make sure they get really good and clean. In other words, hot water, lots of pressure, mounds of soap, mounds of shampoo. I want there to be no chance that my kids get into that shower and come out dirty. No chance. By virtue of the fact that that shower exists with amazing water pressure, all the tools, all the substances required for being clean, and my helicopter parenting, they are basically clean before they even get in. <laughs> Guaranteed cleanliness. Guaranteed. They shower not to get what they don't have, but to experience what they already possess. They just got to get in. They just got to get in. That's what John is saying about confession. We don't get in to get what we don't already have. We get in to experience what we already possess. There's no chance we go into confession and come out owing a debt or having any dirt on us. No chance. That is glorious. That is glorious. That's what God does. And He does it because He is faithful and He is righteous. Faithful and righteous. God is faithful to believers because He carries through in His commitment to forgive and purify those who confess their sin. He's faithful. Now we'll talk about how that happens. Yes, definitely next week I'll get to 1 John 2. We'll talk about how. But that's what John means here when he says that God is faithful. He, he did what he said he was going to do by sending his son to live the life that we couldn't live, die the death and pay the penalty that we could not pay, overcome the power of death or the resurrection, and sit at the right hand of God reigning forever into eternity with us as his heirs. He's faithful to do that, but he's not just faithful. He is righteous. Your, your translation may say just when he forgives and cleanses those who confesses our sin. Now, this is a theological problem. Because when John says that God is righteous when he forgives sins and cleanses sinners, he means that in doing so, God is acting righteously, which raises a very important theological question. How can God be righteous if he just forgives? How can he be said to be righteous if he doesn't actually punish sin? Answer 1 John 2, which I will come to next Sunday. But John states it as a matter of fact here. He is righteous and he is just. He forgives and he cleanses. So let me sum up where we are and we'll land the plane. Authentic Christian living is an honest and ongoing acknowledgement of one's sin coupled with the permanent and complete once and for all forgiveness that we have in Christ. And we're not going in there to get what we do not already have. We're going in there to experience what we already possess, which leads to a really important question. What if we don't do it?
What if we don't confess our sin? What if we don't lay hold of what we already possess? What if we don't get in there and experience God as He promises He is? Look at verse 10. He tells us, If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Also, verse 8, before this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we don't actually live a life of confession, there are two results. We make God a liar and we lie to ourselves in the world. The practice of confession is a whole lot like putting your money where your mouth is. Only it's a sure bet. The practice of confession is a lot like putting our money where our mouth is, only it's a sure bet. If we don't do it, we are calling God a liar. We're saying that He has not forgiven us. We're saying that He is not righteous. We're saying He is not just. We're saying He can't or doesn't cleanse us. But if we go, then we say that He actually is who He says He is, and He actually does what He says that He does. So if we don't live a life of confession, we make Him a liar. And we also lie to ourselves in the world. The rest of verse 10 says we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us, which means something else is in us, namely a lie that we tell ourselves. If we don't enter into and practice a life of confession, then not only are we calling God a liar, we are also lying to ourselves. This is what John means when he said his word is not in us. There's some other word in us. There's a false word. Could be any number of things. But whatever it is, it's not the gospel. So we're telling ourselves lies like I told myself about my dad. And we're lying to the world about who God is if we don't. Practice a life of confession. What happens when you do go in there? Cleansing, forgiveness, knowing God for who He is and displayed Himself to be in Christ. What happens if you don't? You lie to yourself and you lie to the world. So what? Well, verse 1, chapter 2. My little children... I'm writing you these things. These things is verses 8 through 10. I'm writing to you these things so that you may not sin. You want to know an incredible irony? It's right here in front of us. It's it's mind-boggling and so, so amazing. It's so beautiful. The path to less sin is confession of sin. The more we confess, the less we will have to confess. What? That's incredible. Why? Because we become more aware of the beauty of the gospel and are therefore empowered to live by it and not sin in opposition to it. That's why John says, I'm telling you this. I'm telling you, you've got advanced forgiveness. Just get in there and get cleansed. Just get in there and be forgiven. Just get in there and have your debt canceled. And nothing will clean you up and straighten you out like confession. That's unbelievable to me. It's so amazing. So I would tell you, 
enter into a life of confession. There's nothing more gospel-centered than a life of confession. You want to win somebody to the faith? Get in there and confess. A winsome faith is one in which this is taking place. It's a spiritual discipline. You just, you do it. I was talking to a guy who's a songwriter for a living yesterday morning when I was supposed to be writing my sermon. And he sat down at my table and started talking nonstop. And he gave me this wonderful illustration for my sermon so I didn't have to study as much. And he was talking about being a songwriter. He's been a songwriter for 30 or 40 years. And songs that you would know and love. And if you're into country music and, uh, or Christian music. So maybe you're not. I, country is not really music to me. But that's a whole other sidebar. Okay, so anyway. He's, he's talking about it. And he says, hey, man, I, I wrote this song five years ago about this. And this famous country guy cut the track this month. And it's going to be on the album. And somebody's like, man, dude, you're really killing it. How are you doing so great in the song races? The reality is I've written 500 songs in the last five years, and this is the only one that's going to take. But he doesn't stop writing songs. He, gets, he keeps doing the discipline so that when one of them really hits, it works and it's rejoiceful and it's enjoyable and it, and it feeds his kids and all those things, right? It's great. This is what I'm, so this is what I'm trying to say about a life of confession. Keep doing it. As a congregation, we need to keep doing it. And I know it's weird and awkward pausing for a few seconds every Sunday to practice confession individually and corporately. It's a little awkward because everybody in the room, if they're doing it, is going, here's the data dump on me, God. Here's the, here's the, here's the mother load of mess up in my week. Are you ready? In 10 seconds, we do it corporately right here. Here's all the failings we are as a people, God. It's a little bit awkward. And sometimes when you're doing it, it doesn't happen at all because there are kids squirming and that's the reason your mind runs off into what's cooking in the oven at home or whatever, right? And there's sometimes we're a little bit and there's some Sundays where it's the most holy, reverent, heart-warming moment. And that's the reason why we do it every Sunday here is so that one time in 52, you have that. You have that. And you get to rejoice in the cleansing and the canceling of your debt. And it's worth it. So keep doing it. We're going to keep doing it. It's in the liturgy. It's in Pro Presenter. It's in Planning Center. It's done. All right. Lastly, this is a very practical application. Is your love for others reflecting of this truth? Do people know that they have advanced forgiveness from you? This will radicalize your parenting. Why in the world would I not run in and tell my dad what happened? It's not like he didn't have insurance. It's not like he wasn't sending me off to college in two months. What's to fear? It's like, what would keep me? Lying to myself about the nature of my father. Maybe, maybe you have a problem forgiving other people because you don't believe that God forgave you. Maybe you're believing something very untrue about God and it's leading to some very untrue, unhelpful, unbiblical behavior toward other people. Do people, do people know from you they have advanced forgiveness that there's nothing that person could do that would lead you to love them any less? I'm not saying you have to hug them. 
People hurt people in ways that you have to be apart from them forever. But you can cancel that debt every time you see them if you have to see them. You can cancel that debt every time you have to think about them. Do they know that you have advanced, they have advanced forgiveness when you, when we do see sin in the lives of those that we do life with, do we respond to them like God has responded to us? In other words, do we believe the gospel? Do we believe the gospel? How could God do that? Like, how did that manifest itself? How did this play out in history? Answer, chapter 2, verse 2, and 1 and 2, which I will be glad to explain next Sunday. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for advanced forgiveness that compels us to sin less and demonstrate the truth of who you are more. Let us walk in and take possession of that which we already possess and experience it on a regular basis. And when we do, we get to enjoy you for who you are, trust you more, believe in who you are and what you've done and see it and enjoy it more. And thereby, that has a ripple effect through our relationships as individuals and as this church. Make it so. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.